Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. One of the most profound statements I have ever read comes from George Orwell's prophetic book, 1984. And the quote basically says, I understand how, I do not understand why. With all our scientific advances, medical innovations, even great, even space travel, and pushing the boundaries of the known universe, humans are great at, actually, we're amazing at figuring out how things happen, but the why of things is so much more challenging. Humans understand how a person become, can become addicted to drugs or alcohol, but why do they? Humans understand how a seemingly healthy child or an adult can contract an illness and die way too soon, but why does this happen? Humans can understand how a person senselessly murders another person, but why did they do it? Humans can understand how a CEO gets corrupted and ends up stealing millions of dollars. But why does this happen? How is a very technical, objective, definable, and observable thing? But the why, oh, the why of things, this cuts deeper, goes beyond the superficial, go, and, and goes beyond to the depths of personality or even to the supernatural for those that are religious. The why of things is the tough part. The why often leaves us with no objective or rational explanation. Anyone who has ever had someone close to them die suddenly or faced any number of tragedies that don't, they, they don't just set you back a little bit, but rather smack you in the gut can understand the human search for why. Oftentimes, no answer is revealed ever. However, the search for why is important, even when no answer is readily apparent or even possible at all. Also, the search for why shouldn't be limited to life tragedies. The search for why in your life and my life, it should never stop. It should be an ongoing dialogue with yourself and with those closest to you. Why do you do the things that you do? The reality for most is we're just so distracted with money and career and material things, social obligations, or quite frankly, just being too lazy or apathetic to even perform the act of self-reflection that we don't even stop to consider the question of why do we do the things that we do. When I'm in a classroom teaching students and we look at the most powerful, successful, most impactful humans across the arts, philosophy, literature, history, and, and religion in all the ages, it rather ironically becomes apparent that almost always very average people on the surface become great and somehow they had the ability to tap into the true potential within themselves. If just normal people from normal upbringings can leave a lasting mark on society, then why don't you? Why don't I? Why doesn't everyone? The easy reason and the way to deflect and pretend is to say, oh, those people, 
they must have achieved X, Y, or Z. Obviously, they were born with some special talent, some special gift, some special intellect. Well, in some ways, you could surely argue that's true. But most of the high achievers that we see throughout the history books, they come from, well, pretty average or below average beginnings. So the excuse of, well, I couldn't achieve this because I was born with these parents or I was born with this skin color or I was born into this situation or I wasn't born with X, Y, or Z, well, that rings rather shallow most of the time. But back to our question on on leading your most fulfilled life and why some people don't make it there. Is there a defining why most in society are left unfilled, unfulfilled, which, by the way, study after study, most of the time say people, they're fairly happy, but they don't necessarily believe they're living out their life purpose or they're kind, they're pretty happy or kind of happy in their job, but not completely satisfied with it. So why did people Like, oh, I don't know, let's just say Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Napoleon. What what was it that made them able to rise above the masses of people to become like true masters of their craft and impact their society in different ways? If you read about any of them or have ever studied them, and their upbringing and their histories, it's really rather incredible. Leonardo da Vinci, for example, was an orphan. Albert Einstein was thought to be an inferior student, barely worthy of university study. Napoleon rose from a just average and normal childhood. When we read about the histories of these amazing individuals who have shaped the world history, we see the be- that the beginnings were almost always, well just like yours or mine, or maybe even a little worse. Very few emerge into life like, let's take another figure, Alexander the Great, born the son of a king. He was tutored by Aristotle, of all people, and he was given a prophecy at birth that he would be one of the mightiest and greatest warriors of all time. Doesn't work like that almost ever. We can understand how the son of a king trained to fight by the greatest warriors in a kingdom, trained intellectually by one of the most famous philosophers in the entire history of the Western world as kind of, oh, of course, someone like him, they had a leg up and that's pretty obvious. But even through that, he still had to overcome incredible tumultuous childhood and a very ugly home life because his mom who was the queen, was basically thrown to the side for a younger woman when the king found another uh, another wife. And at one point, she feared for her life, and she even feared for the life of Alexander that they could be killed just to ensure that the new bloodline of the new wife would hold power and not, not the prior bloodline. So it, so it surely wasn't even all sunshine and roses for Alexander the Great. I think we could say, why do so many people live in an unfulfilled life is is that most of us, we fail to do something that the greatest minds and the greatest talents, they just have kind of buried inside of them. And you have it inside of you too, if you just choose to use it. 
So what I want to do in this podcast is look at three potential answers to why people live an unfulfilled life in comparison to the lives of just various random super achievers that I run across in my humanities class from now and again. And let's see if we can uncover some powerful answers of why we do the things we do or why we don't do some of the things we probably should do. First of all, what the greatest minds have is the ability to abandon the limitations placed on them by society and they refuse to conform to the whims of others. Leonardo da Vinci, as I said, he was an orphan. He should have ended up at, at the best a common laborer, but never ever should he have ended up one of the most respected artists in the history of the world. Heck, a normal orphan during the time of da Vinci, there was no safety net. There was no uh, child protective services. None of that existed back during that time. And really, he would have never known how to read or write. He never should have been able to learn to paint or sketch, and he never would have went to school. And a life of conformity to his social status would have put him in some pathetically low-level job, and he would have probably died very poor, very young. But he didn't. Napoleon came from a family of basically just mid-level government bureaucrats. And traditionally, what Napoleon should have done was to become some sort of a government hack, eking out his days, pushing stacks of paper or the like in whatever governmental office he would then get the chance to work in since his parents were there. Yet neither allowed any limiting beliefs of what they should have been to hold them back. The great moments of history are the performance of people through the strength of their ideas that are allowed to emerge from within themselves because, well, they refuse to listen to others outside of themselves. I think maybe Theodore Roosevelt, one of the greatest American presidents who, by the way, also was an incredibly sickly child and he had such a debilitating asthma problem, he was homeschooled and tutored. He said this, quote, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat, end quote. Too many simply let their passions die, as it is so much easier to conform to the expectations of society. Avoid any fear of criticism or potential failure. We look at great towering figures in history, and we marvel at their skill and their tenacity to succeed, and not to listen to the critics. There is no reason 
in your own life that you can't do exactly the same thing. One more quick example, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Many of you have read it or at least seen articles, snippets of it. The writers of that, uh, Mr. Jack Canfield and Mr. Mark Victor Hansen, you know they received 140 rejection letters for their book before finally a publisher picked them up. Talk about having critics. My goodness, pour your heart and soul out to write a book and get rejected not once, not twice, but 140 times. Now this book has sold tens of millions of copies and has been translated into 40 plus languages. As one who studies, reads, teaches of the great figures in history, it becomes clear that a person who knows what they want and where they are going will almost always rise to that height and most great figures go further than what they could have ever dreamed they could achieve. But you and nobody and they could not and cannot know where they're going or where you're going if you're always and constantly stuck in this conformity mindset and you hold those limiting beliefs that critics place on your head. And if you have that, where you are today is where you're always going to be. But see, those limiting beliefs, I know they're complete nonsense. And I know it's nonsense because nearly every towering figure that has come before you had to overcome basically the same situation or a similar situation or even a worse situation than where you are at right now. Even age doesn't matter. Heck, Colonel Sanders, the founder of KFC, didn't open his first KFC till he was in his 60s. And after a mediocre career and all kinds of jobs, if you ever read about him, Oh, he was a steam engine stoker. He was an insurance salesman. He was even one of those people that were filling gas as a station operator at a, at a local gas station. But along the way, along the way, as he was learning, as he was doing all these jobs that were meaningless, and some of you may feel you're in one of those situations right now, he was honing his skills in business. He was honing his skills in cooking. He had a little roadside chicken stand at one point. But see, if he would have listened to society, coming from a very poor family, growing up in a four-room house in rural Indiana, he should have just settled. Society would have basically said it would be okay and proper and common for him to be either an insurance salesman or maybe working a steam engine, stoking fires. Uh, that would have been acceptable and he would have seemed quote unquote normal for doing it. But yet he didn't. He kept pushing, striving, and eventually he made it. When he reached his 70s, he sold off his uh, stores for millions of dollars. So conformity to societal expectations can surely be one reason why people go through life unfulfilled. Here's another reason. For living an unfulfilled life and it's very natural it's a very human tendency in all of us and that's to seek comfort geez life is so easy in the modern world we feel inconvenienced when parking lots are not available within 50 feet of a mall or a grocery store human beings by nature we like it easy comfortable and we surely don't seek that old hardcore bodybuilder mantra of no pain, no gain. Mon Instead, most people prefer the mantra of no pain, no pain please at all. It could be we seek this 
pain through literal, the avoidance of pain through kind of a literal drunkenness or sedation. America is the most drug, drugged up, sedated, anesthetized society in the world today. Or it could be more intellectual sedation rather than a, an actual physical sedation by keeping our mind lazy and comfortable hours upon hours, watching TV, playing video games, scrolling social media, looking, hoping, uh, being jealous of those influencers, those other people, those pseudo online amazing lives that you can see whenever you want to go onto Facebook. For some, this mental drunken stupor manifests in the person in a constant state of dreaming, a constant state of planning and thinking of the day in the future when they'll launch forth into greatness. The change, the passion they always wanted, but it'll be tomorrow, not today. Speaking right now to those of you kind of trying to plan your New Year's resolution, don't wait till January 1st. If you know what you want, start like right now, like today. Frank Lloyd Wright, maybe one of the most famous architects in American history, who was born in a very small town in Wisconsin with only about 5,000 people. It was a broken home on the verge of poverty. Eventually, his parents divorced and his mother citing the reasons on the divorce documents as, quote, emotional cruelty, physical violence, and spousal abandonment. Obviously, not an easy childhood environment to grow up in. Not one conducive to becoming maybe the most famous architect in the history of America. But he said this about what made him successful. I know the price of success. It's dedication, hard work, and an unremitting devotion to the things you want to see happen. You can't do the work necessary to succeed hiding in your own personal comfort zone. Notice he didn't say superior intellect, amazing intuition given from God. What did he put? Dedication, hard work, and devotion. Maybe the most powerful, true, and simple marketing campaign that should become a philosophy of life for all of us to succeed is that Nike campaign back from, I believe it started in the 80s or 90s. Just do it. There comes a point for you, as there came a point for all the highly successful people, that they stopped the laziness, stopped the mundane waste of time, and just simply went to work. Easy and safe just, just doesn't get it done. It won't get it done. All those distractions are a death trap to success. Whether chemical or substance dis distractions or mental, like spending hours in front of the TV or video games, or just simply being way too comfortable being comfortable, or finding great joy in dreaming up about what you are going to do someday down the road. The fact is the great minds and the great achievers have this innate ability to live in the present to the fullest. The third thing I want to discuss is for others, it isn't sedation of your true self. It's the seduction of material wealth that leads you to not achieving your best self. Wow, have we been deceived in America and that philosophy of the American dream. People work and work and work under this absurd misconception that we need to work, we must work so that we can get ahead, buy the car, get the house, live in a certain neighborhood, buy these shoes, attend this prestigious university. It's a fool's game. You never win it, ever. No matter how much you have, how much material wealth you accumulate, it will never 
ever bring you fulfillment. I saw a fascinating happiness survey. And basically what it did, it was a, it was a rather long-term study and it took the socioeconomic background of groups of people all the way down living in the poverty level up to a, a wealthy category. And I believe it was mid six figure level of what were they surveyed at the high end. And so some obvious things from this survey appeared immediately. Those people that were living in poverty or below the poverty line, in general, they were the least happy people. And the people that were the happiest were towards the top of the bracket. Just makes sense, right? But here's the kicker with this money happiness relationship. So if someone would increase their wealth from say the poverty line and they would increase their annual income by five or $6,000, their relationship between their money, their financial situation, their happiness increased dramatically because obviously if you're below the poverty line, you're not even meeting basic standards. But something curious happens the higher and higher up the income bracket. The higher and higher the income bracket, the more the wealth would increase, the smaller the percentage increase, meaning the more and more money that you had, it wasn't a a one-for-one relationship as it was on the low end of the scale. And basically, the magic number for a household income in America was around that, I can't remember, I don't have the study in front of me, but it's around sixty-eight dollars to $75,000. Once that income level is breached, the happiness in relation to adding a few thousand dollars was relatively, relatively small. And making those incremental increases when you're up over a hundred, two hundred thousand meant almost nothing. Because what happens is that money relationship, the higher you go, the less and less it can add additional happiness. And ironically, too, when you read the details of the study, some of the happiness at the lower income levels, it it's muted at the higher levels because there's a different type of stress, a different type of problem emerges the higher and higher the income level goes. So that old adage that money can't buy happiness is definitely true. Will, Will Rogers, he's a iconic American stage and film actor. He's a vaudeville performer, humorist, newspaper columnist. He's actually born a Cherokee Indian and he only went to school through the 10th grade, believe it or not. He said this, too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want, to impress people they don't like. I love this quote. It strikes strikes at the core of far too many Americans chasing after materialism. Too many people are spending money they earn to buy things they don't want, to impress people they don't even like. In this incredibly free country we live, way too many people through ignorance or mistake are so occupied with acquiring wealth to buy things that so little time is left in the day to pursue true passions in life. The person obsessed with labor and career, they can't find time to take care of their own health many times. They can't pursue hobbies or passions. They don't, they don't spend time with their family or their friends or whatever it is. Maybe it's studying, relaxing, starting a business. I mean, the, the list of things 
the career time and job time can consume is endless. Yet far too often, these deep passions that you and I and others have never been able to tap, they never get explored, they never happen, they never get brought to the surface because we are way too busy in the business of being busy to make money so we can buy superficial things or pay off debt. The most successful people in the history of the world never let the distractions of getting by or buying things or having the biggest house on the block or the best car, they never let those material things interfere with their true passion. Benjamin Franklin, and I know I've mentioned this many times, it's one of the best autobiographies I ever read. Such a fascinating guy. From a very young man, he had deep passions towards trying to discover what he really wanted in life. He's a voracious reader and he was always looking and studying and, and learning new things. But even in the midst of all of this, this fulfilling life chase that he was on, in the midst of, of all that, he had tons of mundane, boring, unfulfilling jobs, but he never ever let his jobs define who he was as a person. The great ones don't get swept away in the illusion of the things or, or, or career, and they don't let that importance overwhelm them. What the great minds, and even in the midst of getting through tough times or struggling financially to make it to the top, realize is that not being consumed with material culture opens up a simplicity in life which allows for intellectual freedom to pursue without the shackles of materialism and chasing things of this culture. Because when that happens, you, you just simply don't have the time to pursue your deepest self because all your energies become devoted to a mundane task that simply pays the bills. There's nothing more sad when asking someone about their career and their response is, well, it pays the bills. If this is you, you need to search for more. You can be more. Great minds across all ages and times, they warn us about this. Going all the way back to the ancient Greeks, Epictetus said this, Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Ralph Waldo Emerson in the 1800s said, Money often costs too much. Christopher Rice, a very modern author, said this, Every day is a bank account, and time is our currency. No one is rich, no one is poor. We've got 24 hours each. So as we look at money and we look at career, it should strike all of us strange that society wants to pigeonhole almost everyone into spending the best part of life earning money in order to enjoy a questionable liberty during the least valuable part of our lives in retirement at the end. Doesn't this all seem a bit backwards, a bit convenient for large, powerful companies and governments to lock people when they have their greatest energy and effort and their youth into a life of humdrum, cog-in-the-machine lives when we have energy, then give us our freedom from a career after we're old and worn out? I want to be clear here. Labor is good. Humans need to work. I can't imagine a day where I'm not working. But 
the challenge to you and I and everyone is this. What are you working on? Is it a passion or is it just a job? If it's a passion, then there's no need to even worry about how much, how many hours and how much energy you invest there. But if it is just a job, you need to minimize it and devise a plan to get out of it and move towards your passion. Whatever it is, you don't have lots of time. Let's just be honest. Every day we're closer to the end and we don't know when that day will come. The greatest minds and achievers in history when we study them They always worked with a sort of urgency towards that goal, whatever that goal was. Just start doing it, whatever it is. Maybe at nights, on weekends, on days off, just push and drive into it. Figure out a way to meet your financial obligations and pursue more at the same time if you can't just quit your job and start something else. else. As if you do this, no matter where you end up, it will be a success. And just like that, the greatest achievers of all time, you'll be living out your inner desires and nothing, nothing is more powerful than that. There are far too many extraordinary people who never stepped out to reach their full potential. And they ended up living an average life, doing average things, when in their heart and soul, they had dreams and passions and ideas that they just, well, they let them die with them. So to return to the beginning of the, in the statement, I can understand how, but not why. In studying and listening to the great minds in history, I find three common themes emerge over and over of why so many people lead unfulfilled lives. First, people are conformists and society pushes the bulk of people into being a nice, pleasant, compliant cog in the machine. Fight that urge. Do not conform and do not surrender. If it doesn't feel right and you're being pressured into it, you need to push back against it. Second, the natural tendency of humans is to seek comfort. And when one achieves it, they tend to stagnate in it and they stop growing. We all know people like this, that they are the same today as they were 20, 30 years ago. They have let themselves fall into a life of comfort as if they've reached their apex of what they can achieve. And it's not true. It's not true for anyone, anywhere. And third, that seduction of materialism, which is is deceptively achieved through this all-consuming career, this all-important career, this one that tells all of society that you've made it. But in actuality, it can never fully satisfy The chasing of wealth through career becomes a death trap for many, where the only escape becomes a retirement at the end of life, and then the person is left to use up all those funds they've accumulated with whatever little bit of energy they have left. The trade-off? Oftentimes, it's the hopes, the dreams, and the ambitions which people sell down the river for a comfortable and safe nine to five job. As I leave you in this podcast, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Everybody's life's a little bit different. If you're thinking there is more, much more to life that you that you have always wanted, jump always wanted to jump into something, you've just kind of felt that urge. Well, now is the time to either one, figure out the execution and then more importantly, just do it. If you're already there, you are one of the lucky few people that are living out their full passion, exactly what they wanted. And that is awesome. 
And I have nothing to say to any of you except you just keep doing it and keep doing it to the best of whatever ability you have and keep pushing to be better and better at it. You know, in the end, you really don't have an excuse or any better excuse than the greatest minds and achievers who have ever walked this planet. I've already talked about them in this podcast. Most of the great achievers started right where you're at. They weren't blessed with genetics or special talents. They honed them. They fostered them. And many of them had to overcome things even more than we could even dream of. So don't use that as an excuse. You know how you got to where you are at right now in your life. You know how you got there. But maybe, just maybe, it's time to change your own internal dialogue to why. Why did you do the things that you've done? Because if you can answer this huge question, you may uncover things about yourself that can alter your life trajectory in your in your path for however much time you have left to live. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found value. Why do people do what they do? And more importantly for you, why do you do what you do? I I hope you take up the challenge to reflect back on your life, the actions, the attitudes, and the things that have brought you to this place in your life, and then craft an amazing plan of action to be better today than you were yesterday. Remember, I generally publish new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you click like or follow, you'll be alerted to new episodes when they come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.